So we have an Old Testament and a New Testament reading this morning. The Old Testament reading is from Jeremiah chapter 23 and can be found on page 782 of the Church Bibles. And the New Testament reading will be from Luke chapter 1 and can be found on page 1027. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 to 8. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. And Luke chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we begin, I'll lead us in a prayer. King David says this, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. We pray, our Heavenly Father, as we look on this promise of a king, that you would cause us to exalt him forever and ever. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you say to yourself to give yourself hope? What words do you speak to your heart? when it feels like you have no hope. We all do it, don't we? We all need to find hope from somewhere. The Russian author Dostoevsky, he says this, to live without hope is to cease to live. We all need hope. Where do we find hope? And our world gives us many occasions, doesn't it, to to ask that question, where can hope be found? Whether it's hearing another report on the destruction of war or the crippling effects of greed on the environment and others, 
or seeing a celebrity we admired trying to spin their way out of a series of allegations, or watching a national church stumble and fracture over its calling, or being let down by someone who we thought was always going to be there, or as the frailty of our bodies becomes an undeniable reality. Where do you look for, for hope? What do you say to yourself? To give yourself hope. See, that's the question that the people in our text this morning uh, are asking. See, they've lost everything, and it feels like they have no hope. See, this morning, um, as we approach Christmas, we're we're thinking about promises about Jesus. And uh, we're looking this week at the message of Jeremiah, the prophet. Now, whenever I come to the prophets, especially when I just dive in uh, like we're doing this morning, I ask myself two questions. Uh, It's these. Uh, Is this north or south? So is this about the southern kingdom or the northern kingdom? And is this pre-exile or post-exile? Now, Jeremiah, he's in the south. If you see there, you've got Judah and Israel, the two kingdoms. Uh, Israel, by this point, is is gone. Uh, Syria captured it about 150 years ago. And so Jeremiah's in the south, in Judah. And he's writing pre-exile. In fact, he's writing as the exile happens, just before uh, it does. Um, uh, The exile is going to happen as as Babylon sweeps into the area and captures the southern kingdom. I think it's around there somewhere. This huge empire is going to destroy what's left of God's people. And... That is exactly what happens. What's left to Judah goes into exile. And our passage this morning is addressed to what is left. Those people sitting in Babylon under enemies, under their enemies' rule. You can imagine, can't you, just how they're feeling. They've lost their relatives. They've lost their nation. They've lost their king. They've lost their hope. And at this point, when God's people find themselves at rock bottom, at the bottom of the valley, Jeremiah speaks a word of hope. See, God wants his people to see that there is hope in our broken world. And he's going to show us where it's found, and you can see this on our three points. First, hope is found in a ruler, it's found in a rescue, and it's found in a redeemer. Let's have a look at the first of those points. See, God tells these people at rock bottom that a righteous ruler is coming. Have a look at verse 5. We're in Jeremiah 23. Sorry if you're in Luke. Please flip back to page 682. But do keep a finger in Luke. So um, we're going to go there under our third point. So if you can manage that, that'd be great. Um, So page 782, verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, and do what is just and right in the land. I imagine how this would have been heard. I think it would have sounded like a cruel joke, because the people had just lost their ruler. And not only did they lose a king and a ruler, but they lost their monarchy. The royal line had come to a dead end. Just have a look at what happened to the last king at the end of the book of Two Kings says this, they killed the sons of Zedekiah, this is the last king, before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, 
bound him with bronze shackles and took him to Babylon. Now, why does that matter so much? Why, did it, why, why does losing a king matter? Well, this was going to be the line in which God was going to bless the world. See, they thought that through David, there would come a ruler who would rule his people forever and keep his people safe and secure. But now there is no king, no sons, no succession, no blessing. But look at what God promises, verse 5. I will raise up to David a righteous branch. Now, at home, I've um, got a really lovely study, and um, it, it looks out across my garden. And uh, often I find myself just looking out of the garden window, and I'm immediately reminded of the amount of weeding and mowing I've got to do. But often I, I look out, and I, you can see in my garden there's lots of tree stumps where I think curates in the past have got a chainsaw and sliced down some of the trees. And I remember looking at one of them a few months ago. I mean, if you look at it, it looks totally dead. I mean, it's just a tree stump. But then I noticed one day that, that shoots have appeared at the side. I mean, I mean, to look at it, you'd think that the tree is no more. It's just a flat stump. There's no life. But this little shoot emerging from the side shows us that there is life. And that is the picture Jeremiah gives here. See, it looks like the kings have gone. It looks like they've been cut off. But a shoot will appear. A king will come. See, life can look very dark. Hope can feel almost extinguished. But God brings hope. He promises to change our darkness into light. See, God had promised a king to David, and he will keep that promise, even when it looks like it's not going to happen. So there is going to be a ruler. But the, but the thing is... In our culture, I think we don't get that excited about rulers. See, we, we hear about leaders, and, and it doesn't immediately fill us with hope. But this ruler should. Because just look at what type of king this is going to be. Verse 5, he will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now, why is that significant? Well, because a king was meant to do what was just and right. It's kind of their job. And Jeremiah, up to this point, shows us that that's not happened. Um, if you go back to chapter 21 and read onwards, he, he lists the, four, the four, uh, final four kings, and he shows us that every single one of them has completely failed to look after their people. Uh, look at how he describes the kings in 23 verse 1. He says this, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them. Quite a straightforward image, isn't it? I, imagine you've got a flock of sheep and um, they're very valuable to you, but you're very busy. And so you decide to employ a shepherd to look after those sheep. And one day you, you spot the shepherd walking around on their own. You think to yourself, that's a bit strange. And so you go out to the shepherd and you say, what happened to all the sheep I gave you to look after? And they tell you that they got fed up. And so they decided to kind of drive them out and scatter them 
all over the countryside. I mean, it'd be unthinkable, wouldn't it? But that is what these kings have done. See, they left the very people they were meant to look after, scattered and hopeless, in exile. But God says, I will raise up a new shepherd. You could say a good shepherd, a king who will care for his people, a ruler who will never lose his sheep, never drive them away. I don't know about you, but it it seems like our hope in leaders is kind of running at an all-time low. I remember back in 2008, uh, you know, just a decade ago, that people were much more optimistic about leaders and what they could do. Uh, I remember the, uh, the election of President Obama, wasn't that long ago, was it? The, the, I remember chatting to people at work who were, who were literally counting down the days until he was inaugurated, thinking that he could bring hope. I mean, one of his campaign slogans was just simply the word hope. But a decade on, it, it feels like our hopes in leaders are more reserved. I mean, we've seen, haven't we, political, religious, cultural icons fall like dominoes. It feels like every day there is another report of leaders abusing the very people they were meant to protect. Our world longs for a leader. We long for a leader who will serve their people, who will never abuse their power. And God promises that leader, a king who will rule rightly and justly, a shepherd who will actually care for the people he represents. But it's not just the character of this ruler that should bring us hope, but, but what this ruler will do, um, and we're going to think about that under our second point. See, God promises not just a ruler, but a rescue. Look at verse 7, and, and see if you can spot what God is promising to do. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. Now, I know there's lots of detail there, but what's Jeremiah getting at? Well, first, do you notice he speaks about the Exodus? Now, the Exodus was God's great rescue from Egypt. It was the the kind of go-to story to bring you hope. See, see, every people group has some kind of shared story about what makes them who they are. So if you're English, you look to the Norman Conquest. If you're French, you look to the Revolution. If you're American, you look to the Declaration of Independence. If you're from Basingstoke, you look to the opening of Festival Place. <laughs> and for Israel, they looked to the Exodus. See, it reminded them that God had chosen them. He had rescued them. But in Jeremiah's day, that became a story nobody wanted to tell. See, no one wants to speak of an enemy, of an exodus from an enemy nation when you're back in that enemy nation. But Jeremiah says, no, there's going to be a new defining story for God's people. No longer will you look to the exodus as your big moment, but you will look to another exodus a second exodus, where God will rescue from exile and lead you into your own land. Now, why is this so hopeful? 
Well, on one level, it's a chance to go home, isn't it? I mean, they're in exile, they'd love to go home, I'm sure. But actually, it's more than that. If we, see, if we understand what land represents in the Bible, we'd, we'd see that it's far greater. See, see, the land in the Bible is not just a place to live. It's not just a place to call home. It's a place to be in communion with God, to be joyful, to experience His blessing. The land means a relationship with Him. And so to be in exile means to be cut off from all that. But look at verse 3. Look at how God tenderly speaks of His people. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where, they'll be, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any miss him, declares the Lord. Notice what God calls them. My flock. Notice who's going to act here. I will bring them back. I myself. God will do it. See, the, the people thought that exile was it. That they lost their land. They lost their God. But God says, no, you're my flock. I will bring you back. A few weeks ago, I was um, uh, up in London with the family visiting some friends in the East End. And um, it was a lovely day. And so we thought, we're walking to the centre of town uh, along Whitechapel Road. Now, if you know London at all, you'll know that Whitechapel Road is one of the busiest streets in London. There's uh, markets on the side of the street. There's uh, cars constantly turning in and out of the junctions. Hundreds of people are going to and fro. And we thought it was a good idea to take five young children down that road. And our oldest kids, they, they wanted to have some freedom as they do. They wanted to walk a little bit ahead. And we said, okay. And my heart started to, to race a little bit faster. And as they were walking, they were weaving in and outside the crowd, running off, stopping at the junction. And as they did, my eyes were completely fixed on them. I mean, not once did my attention move from them. As they moved through the people, as they weaved in and out. I never forgot my children. I was never going to leave them. God says, look, you may be in exile, but I never forget my sheep. You are still my flock. I will bring you to safety. It might feel like we're lost this morning. It, it might feel like we're here and it doesn't feel like God sees us. We might even be questioning whether we're cut off from him. We might look at our circumstances and ask, how possibly is this part of God's good plan for us? But if you are his flock, he never lets you go. He will always keep you. He will bring you back safely. Now, before we finish, I, I want to ask this question. How does what God promises to Judah uh, about a king, about exile, relate to us as Christians here at St. Mary's? And we're going to think about that in our third point. See, I want us to see that our hope as Christians is not found in a physical nation. It's not found in a physical ruler of one nation or a return from exile, but it's found in a redeemer. Turn with me to our second reading, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. If you've kept a finger, well done. If you've not, it's 1072. Luke 1. No, I've told you a lie. I'm sorry. It's not that at all. It's 
Someone's whispered something, I can't. Seven. Two, seven. Two, seven, great. Not seven, two. You can tell where I got it wrong. <laughs> One, zero, two, seven. See, here we come to the first Christmas, and we hear from John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, and he shows us that what was promised through Jeremiah has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at what he says in verse 69. He, God, has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said, through his holy prophets, of long ago. What's, what's Zechariah saying? There's this promise a long time ago of someone who will sit in David's line, and this child is it. Jesus Christ is that righteous branch coming off the stump. Jesus is that righteous ruler. I know you know this, but it, it might be worth just remind ourselves that the story of Jesus as king didn't start at the first Christmas. Uh, Jesus wasn't invented uh, as a kind of plan B 2,000 years ago to, to kind of bring about God's salvation plan. No, Jesus was promised long, long ago. And 2,000 years ago, he was revealed to be that promised king. And ever since that point, he has sat on David's throne. But what about the rescue? What about all the exile uh, and return from exile? Um, Well, look at what this king will do in verse 71. He will bring salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. In verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. See, Jeremiah promises hope in a second exodus where God will take his people from being scattered and gather them from their enemies. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that hope. He will bring about that second exodus. Now, the way this plays out is is quite interesting, at least to me, and I hope it is to you, because the people, um, as we see at the beginning of Luke, misunderstand the enemy. See, they think their greatest enemy are the Romans, And they think that the second exodus is going to be a time where Jesus liberates them from their occupying force. But as Luke continues, Jesus shows us that he has come to liberate us, but from far greater enemies, the enemies of sin and death. See, Jesus does come as a liberator. Jesus does come to to bring about a second exodus from captivity. But the liberation is from sin and the exodus from the sentence of death. See, on the cross, in offering himself, Jesus brings that second exodus. He destroys the enemy of sin, so that there is now no accusation that can stand against you. See, on the cross, in giving up his life, Jesus brings that second exodus. He frees you completely from the sentence of death, so you will live, even though you die. And in his resurrection... Jesus brings in a new era where he gathers his people, his sheep, by his Spirit, from every corner of the earth, so they may dwell safely with him forever. See, Jeremiah was writing to a hopeless people because he wanted them to look beyond their broken world and see that there is hope in a ruler, in a rescue. 
And His message is the same for us today. We're to look beyond our broken world and see that there is hope in our ruler, in our rescuer. I wonder, is that a hope that you have this morning? Is that a hope you share? I, I found myself uh, a little while ago in a conversation with a non-Christian friend, and um, he's, he's great. He's great to be around. He's a kind of half-glass-full person. He's so positive about the future. And I asked him once, I said, what makes you so optimistic? I mean, where do you get your hope from? And what he said to me was fascinating. He said, I just hope despite the evidence. He said, look, I, I know we will probably mess things up. I, I know the world will probably just be destroyed by climate change. I, I know people will probably not do the right thing. But I have to hope that they will, despite knowing that they probably won't. I have to hope. And that's all we've got outside of God, isn't it? We, we hope against the evidence. But that is never true for the Christian. We hope because of the evidence. See, we have a ruler who cares. We have our rescue from our greatest enemies. We have a redeemer. See, Christians are people of hope. We should be the most positive people about the future in our world. I wonder, do you tell yourself that hope? It's easy, isn't it, like uh, Jeremiah's audience, to kind of get grounded in our circumstances and to fixate on all the things that are not going well and forget that we have a good ruler, a good shepherd looking after us today and forget that we have been rescued from our greatest enemies. I wonder, do we tell others about that hope? Imagine Jeremiah hearing this promise about God and keeping it to himself. I mean, it would have been unthinkable, wouldn't it, to, to see the exiles in their misery day by day, going about their business, and not tell them what God had promised. Will it be unthinkable for us Christians to keep this to ourselves? We have a hope, a glorious hope, and we're called to share this hope with a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch. And we praise you, our Father, for your wisdom in promising Jesus long ago and showing that he is the fulfillment of this promise. How we praise you for your grace, Father, in not leaving us in darkness, but bringing us into light. And we pray, Father, that that truth would transform our hearts so that we would look to our ruler, we would look to our rescue. And Father, may that truth be something that shines out of us as well. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.